Hello, Oba, and Konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Marvin Vittori versus Kevin Holland. A main event we're maybe a little bit underwhelmed on, but the good news is we're not talking about that main event. Instead, we are talking about the prelim portion of this upcoming Saturday's card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, you might be asking, why aren't you breaking down the main event, which is, you know, somewhat new, or some of the other exciting fights on the main card? The answer is really simple. The answer is, we think you know a lot about those fighters. I mean, you saw Kevin Holland fight just a couple of weeks ago, but you probably don't know a lot of these names that we'll be talking about today, and that's really where there's money to be won, whether you're gambling, playing daily fantasy sports, or hey, just trying to throw a set of picks together. And speaking of throwing a set of picks together, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Fanatics MMA, the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists today. They've got fighter bios, records, odds, all right in the palm of your hand while you make your picks. Plus, the scoring system, which is actually my favorite feature, uses odds to show you how you're doing. No longer do you have to worry about somebody winning your pick'em contest by going absolute chalk all week. Instead, Fanatics uses the Vegas odds to show you how you're doing against the books, which is really like a fight IQ score, because let's face it, win-loss percentage helps, but not all picks are created equal. So I highly encourage you to go download that app wherever it is you download apps, and make sure to listen on in the show so you can hear a little bit more about Fanatics MMA. And in order to listen a little bit later on in the show, I of course have to now introduce my co-host, joining me today from Bloody Elbow, Kristen King. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me back. Let's get through these prelims. We have nine of them, apparently. That's right. We have probably the most prelims you guys will see. And, of course, card subject to change, as it usually says. Um, but we are going to get started. And you guys know we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Jim Miller versus Joe Selecki. So Jim Miller, one and two in his last three. His last fight was a loss to Vince Pichel by decision back in August. Before that, he picked up a submission win over Roosevelt Roberts. Selecki, meanwhile, 2-0 in the UFC. After making his contract on the Contender Series, he subbed Austin Hubbard his last time out. That was also in August. So my question for you is, this is a really big step up for Joe Selecki. He's also a guy who tends to like to lean a little bit on his grappling, or at least in grounded pound submissions. If you were writing a game plan here for Joe Selecki against a guy like Jim Miller, though, what do you have him do? I mean, you laid it out pretty perfectly. Joe Selecki definitely relies on his grappling. And if the game plan against someone like Jim Miller, who is also very well versed in, the, in their grappling, I don't think I have to sing the praises of that guy anymore that I need to. Um... It's going to sound weird, but I think this is going to be a grappler's delight. If I'm Selecki, I would take the fight to the ground as well. I will say, after looking at Jim Miller's last fight, I believe it was against Vince Pichel, I absolutely did not expect uh, Pichel to even get a leg up in the grappling exchanges or on the wrestling exchanges. And you saw past round one, where it looked like Jim Miller definitely looked like he had him about to be submitted it didn't happen and then for rounds two and three Pichel took over on the ground and I said well what's going on here that's not typical of a Jim Miller fight it is possible to outwork Jim Miller on the ground and so Lucky does possess that kind of uh that kind of game plan to do that it's almost like Jim Miller is Joe Selecki is what Jim Miller was a few years ago if that makes sense so 
if Selecki is completely competent on the ground, which he is, I would have no problem telling him, take the fight to the veteran. You can definitely outwork him on the ground. Yeah, and I think to answer your question about what happened when, when those second and third rounds, I think what happened is Jim Miller is 37 years old. Um, and yeah. he's got a little bit of mileage on the tires, too. Like, he's not a... He's not a fresh 37 at this point in time. And I think you're right. I think Joe Selecki, if I was doing this, I'd tell Joe Selecki to take him down, hold him there, uh, stay safe out of submissions, and don't do anything crazy. Because as long as he doesn't do that, I do think this is his fight to win on the ground. So I'm going to take Joe Selecki here. I don't think he's good enough to get Jim Miller out uh, yet because Jim Miller is notoriously tough. But I'll take Joe Selecki by uh, decision. How about you? I'm going to say Joe Selecki by second round submission. I know it sounds crazy. And I feel like we have spoken about this before where it's just like we cannot pick against someone like Jim Miller. And I know I'm going <laughs> to upset the other co-host, uh, Benjamin Abrigo here. <laughs> but listen, I, I have to pick him. I have to pick against him for the very first time. I'm sorry to do it, but I think Selecki gets it done by submission. All right, and that brings us to our next one, which is Scott Holtzman versus Metrus Gamro. So Holtzman had a two-fight winning streak that was snapped by a spinning backfist, courtesy of Benil Dariush back in August. Gamro, meanwhile, lost a close decision to Garam Kutataladze back in October. That was his UFC debut. Of course, he's had a really long career over in KSW before that. So my question for you going into this one is Holtzman's Achilles heel has kind of been his defensive wrestling. He looks really good when he's offensive wrestling, but like kind of stuffing that takedown and, and staying up on his feet and letting his hands go is tough when he's fighting a guy who, who can wrestle him up a little bit. Does that sort of make Gamro just like absolute nightmare fuel here for, for Holtzman? It kind of feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, what we know from Gamrod is that he can definitely strike and take you down, search for that kind of submission. And he has no problem just on, like, top control of his opponent. So, against someone like Scott Holtzman, who, you know what, he is good on the ground. But, man, if someone as, as how can I say it, not adamant, but as someone who is very well-versed in getting the fight to the ground and keeping it there and completely dominating as Gamrod is, I mean, Holtzman has a really tough fight on his hands. Yeah, and I especially think so, given that Gamrod lost his UFC debut. I, I think he's going to fight this one safer. He's going to fight this one to make sure he gets a win because, you know, he came in kind of highly touted. They, mm -hmm. they wanted to match him up with somebody a little bit better. He winds up getting Kukatatzaladze on, like, a late replacement, I think it was. So, like, and, and then he lost a very close split decision, so... I expect to see him use all of those skills and, and kind of do the safest possible thing. And that's make sure he doesn't have to strike with, with Scott Holtzman. And uh, I, I see him probably getting a decision here. How, how do you see Gamrot winning this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with decision as well for Gamrot. Like you said, that last fight was very, very close. And if you saw in that fight as well, the third round was a completely different Gamrot. It was the kind of Gamrot that should have been fighting for the first two rounds against Kutataladze. He just, I didn't know what happened with him. But once he started relying on that wrestling, he did so much better. So hopefully we see that kind of Gamrot in this fight, and he should definitely get a, a decision here. Absolutely. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the first round, which is Aaron Blanchfield versus Norma Dumont. So Blanchfield, she's 6-1. and one. She's making her UFC debut on short notice. She last beat Brogan Walker-Sanchez back in Invicta all the way back in July. Dumont, meanwhile, after losing to Megan Anderson in her debut, beat Ashley Evans-Smith this past November. So I guess my question here, it, it, I don't want to boil it down to just size, but it's kind of just a size thing for me. So Aaron Blanchfield, great prospect, only 21. She's moving up in weight here against 
a woman who's who's very large, right? Like Norma Dumont is very strong, very physically gifted. Do you worry here that this just might be a little bit too much for for Blanchfield on short notice? Absolutely. I hate this fight. I'm going to say it again. I hate this fight so much because I'm, I'm looking at Erin Blanchfield. If you if you are familiar with her work under the Invicta FC uh, banner, you know how good of a prospect she is. So I'm sitting here wondering of all the times to get a call up to the UFC. Why is it now? And why is it against someone who is way bigger than her? And I mean, listen, Blanchfield does very well on the ground. I'm very much impressed by her skills, but I'm just like, damn it. Against someone like Norma Dumont, who, by the way, that Megan Anderson fight, ladies and gentlemen, that was at women's featherweight. She dropped down to bantamweight. And now Blanchfield, who typically fights at flyweight, is moving up in weight to meet her at bantamweight. And Norma Dumont looked very good again against Ashley Evans-Smith. So I'm just sitting here trying to figure out why even make this fight? I mean, okay, let's say, let's say this. She'll strike with you. Dumont will strike with you get into contact, whatever, and immediately go into a clinch. Okay, that's fine. But against someone like Blanchfield, who's typically, I would say she's strong, but that's against, like, the flyweight girls. Now we're talking about a completely different division. And Dumont, for all we know, we've seen how she can do on the ground. I mean, I think she's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu. What is she, a brown belt, I want to say? She's very proficient on the ground. So I'm thinking, oh, my God, she's probably going to overrun this girl. I mean, if if Aaron Blanchfield can definitely get the, the jump on her and maybe take her down, it could be a different story, but I'm not sure how this works for this yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you entirely. And the thing I think, too, and granted, it was a while ago, her fight with Tracy Cortez, you saw you know, Tracy Cortez being a strong flyweight in her own right, mm-hmm. had a couple of moments where she overpowered Blanchfield. And that, that is a flyweight, but it's like one of the only flyweights who's been able to match her physicality. And so, like, you know, now we're talking up a weight class. I, I just think it's going to be too much. I'm going to take Dumont here. I- I'll take her by decision because Blanchfield is tough as nails. Uh, how about you? Are you going with the underdog here on short notice or are you sticking with Dumont? As much as I would like to, I have to stick with Dumont. I just can't see it for Blanchfield right now. And it really bums me out because I was really looking forward to the time she got called up to the UFC. I think it's a little too early. For sure. I totally agree. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with three more fights in round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show, you're going to learn a little bit more about this app as you go with me. And the coolest thing about this app is that they actually have a group feature as well. And the, everybody likes a group feature when you're doing pickups. You, you want to be able to compare yourself to people. The group feature is awesome in the Fanatics MMA app because not only are you able to compare yourself to other people, but you can see their picks as you're seeing your own picks, right? So as they make their picks, boom, they unlock. Of course, if you like to keep them private, you know, the group leader can do that as well. It's got tons and tons of features like that. Plus, they also have a chat function so you can talk to the people in your group. You got a whole bunch of buddies you haven't been able to meet with and sit in rooms with because, you know, changing times and whatnot. You now can basically sit in a virtual room with them in the palm of your hand and chat with them about the fight. So I highly suggest checking it out. Set up your own group today. And also, don't forget to join my group, TTP, the Top Turtle MMA Podcast Network. And you can do that by clicking on the at Top Turtle MMA Podcast bio. When you click on that little link, you'll find it right in there. So make sure to do that on Twitter and join TTP on Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. 
And we're going to start this round by talking about John McDessey versus Ignacio Bahamondes. So, McDessey had a three-fight win streak. That was recently snapped by Francisco Trinaldo, or recently. I say recently. That was a year ago at this point in time. But he had a three-fight win streak that he lost to Francisco Trinaldo. Bahamondes, 11-3, making his UFC debut. He beat Edson Gomez by front kick back on the Contender Series in November. So, he very recently, actually recently, won his contract. So, my question for you here is, Bahamondes in that fight... He, he showed that he's a very flashy striker. He's really fun to watch. But I'm curious as, as what you think. How does that play against a guy who also is a pretty flashy striker and maybe even a little bit more safe technically in John McDessey? Yeah, it's certainly an interesting fight. I looked at that as well and I said, man, this is really just like it could be a firefight depending on what game plan each man uses. And I know that Bahamundas is definitely a flashy striker. He has no problem spinning or throwing like a flying kick, something like that. McDessey, he's definitely known for that in the past. I'm not sure if we're still looking at the same John McDessey. I feel like he's a little bit more reserved now. I think in the same way that you were um, concerned about Jim Miller's age, John McDessey is also getting up there as well. So I don't think that he's going to be doing a lot of the same things that Bahamundas would probably bring to the fight. So I... Mm, I mean, yeah, McDessey is a pretty good technical striker, but I don't know. I'm not sure if that, I'm not super confident if that's going to hold up very well against someone like uh, Bahamundes. I will say I do have a concern with Bahamundes just slightly because he does tend to get hit because he leaves his hands down sometimes and that annoys the crap out of me. But <laughs> he definitely makes up for it with the with these flashy strikes and, and ultimately they do lead to knockouts. So I think as long as he can avoid getting hit by McDessey, and he can just stay on the outside, he should be good. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that, but I don't know how easy that's going to be. I mean, you're right. McDessey definitely did look more complacent in that Trujillo fight. Um, I, I attribute some of that. I believe that was his first fight in a new camp. So I'm hoping a, a little bit of that is, is worn off. But the other thing I will say is his output is typically better than the output of his opponents, right? Like, he, he always goes out there and throws. He lands almost six strikes a minute. I think for, like you said, a guy who keeps his hands low, that that could be trouble. And I, I don't mean to tip my hand here, but I am leaning a little bit on John McDessey because I think you know once in a while those prospects get to catch those prospect losses early. Um, how about you? Who, who do you got in this one? I'm going to shock you with this one, but I'm going to go with Bahamundes by first round knockout. And I'm willing to eat my words on that. <laughs> Ooh, that is a bold one, because especially because he's been hit by some pretty tough dudes. And with the exception of that Lando Venata kick, or, or I guess Lando Venata and Donald Cerrone both caught him. But that mm -hmm. would be a big feather in Bahamundes' cap. I I'm going to go with McDessey, though. I'm going to take him by decision. I feel like I picked decision on almost everything, which is a problem. Maybe we'll get some finishes. <laughs> Next, because we got the big boys, Jorgen DeCastro versus Jarjiz Daño. So, DeCastro beat Justin Taffa in his debut, but since then has suffered back-to-back -back losses to Greg Hardy and Carlos Felipe, both of which came by decision. Daño, meanwhile, has the weirdest UFC career <laughs> out there. He's 0-1-1. He last drew against Christian Colombo in September of 2016. Uh, so, he has been on the shelf for nearly five years at this point. Um... The question I have here is obviously it's impossible to break down Donho. So I guess we have to ask about Jorgen DeCastro, who his biggest problem is when he's gotten into the cage, it's his inactivity, right? Like yes. he, he came out in that first fight and he was furious. And then the next two fights, it looked like he was just complacent and okay to make it 15 minutes. Do you see that as possibly being a problem, especially against a guy who's been out for five years and 
you know, needs to get his legs out from underneath him. Absolutely. Here's the thing. I don't know what is causing the recent reticence from DeCastro, but he needs to cut it out. Okay. He definitely can. He's a very scary knockout artist at heavyweight. Is he all that technical? Probably not, but he can still crack and he will probably knock you out just as we saw in in the Toffa fight in his debut. However, with this fight, this, does this not feel like a this is for DeCastro to get back into the win column mm-hmm. type of fight? You know what I mean? Because I didn't know Donald was still on the roster. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> when I went to go look at this card and I saw this name, I said, I know this name, but where have I seen it before? And when I looked at the very last fight that he's had, I said, there's no way this is still a UFC fighter. He hasn't fought since 2016, you guys. 2016. But he certainly has a puncher's chance. I just don't know if that is going to come against Jorgen DeCastro. The thing is, this inactivity that he is currently just basking in for whatever reason, he needs to shake that off, get back to the win column. I feel like there should be a first round knockout here. And if there's not, then I'm giving up completely. <laughs> yeah, I- I'm going to take Jorgen DeCastro as well by first round knockout. I, I think you're 100% right. This was a fight to be like, okay, we need to see if you are the same guy who beat Justin Taffa because Justin Taffa's looked pretty damn good lately too. So we need to see if you can replicate that again or if you're going to be the guy who looked kind of scared against Greg Hardy. Um, So I'm going to take him by first round knockout as well. And that brings us to a very exciting fight, which is between Hunter Azure and Jack Shore. So Azure's 2-1 in the UFC. He got a win over Cole Smith last September. Shore, meanwhile, is 2-0 in the UFC, 13-0 undefeated overall. He's got two rear naked chokes in his UFC career, including his last one back in July. So my question here, Shore, obviously really good at jiu-jitsu, loves the rear naked choke, loves working at people's backs, all that kind of stuff. Asia is a guy with a, an amateur wrestling background. So is that going to be there for sure? And if not, what does this fight look like on the feet? Man, I am super pumped up for this fight. I have to say Jack Shore is an incredibly amazing prospect. And I absolutely love what he's done so far. Uh, you make a good point about Azure's wrestling. Definitely a great wrestler. Can di- Typically, he can keep control over his opponent. Should he get to, get to the ground? But against someone like Jack Shore, who I feel like is not going to be so easy to keep there like on his back he works well off of it and will find himself a better position should should that small gap open up I mean I think hmm if this does stay on the feet let's see let's see I think Shore is definitely a little bit more technical in his striking and sometimes with Azure he definitely has solid striking but I will say he does leave himself open sometimes to these counters and I think we saw a little bit of that in the uh Brian Kelleher fight where he got clipped he got dropped and then ultimately submitted I believe um against someone like Jack Shore you can't really afford to make those those types of mistakes I mean he's very well-rounded as far as like the striking goes and obviously his ground game so Either way, I'm looking at this fight as more of a, another showcase for Jack Shore. I think he gets it done here as well. I'm going to pick him, actually, by second round submission. Because I think as good as Azure is, I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, a difficult test for Jack Shore. I kind of agree with you on this one. And I'm going to take him by submission as well. I'm going to say he actually gets it done earlier than that. He gets it done in the first because... I think the other thing, you mentioned he's a little bit more technical on the feet. Azure gets tagged once in a while. If he does get tagged here, too, and he has does one of those desperation shots, 
I think people sleep on how good Jack Shore's guillotine is, too, because mm-hmm. he hasn't gotten it as a pro. But if you remember, if you've seen any of his amateur fights, and he fought like 475 times as an amateur, he's got a really good guillotine choke. So yeah. I actually think it's totally possible that he just catches Asia on the way in and finishes him that way. Um, and that's going to do it for the end of our very long second round. We're going to take a quick break. We still have three more prelims for you. We'll get back to you in just a moment. All right, guys. Well, I told you about Fanatics MMA. I told you about the group function. The other really cool thing is that they got tons of content in there. There's tons of content in the Fanatics MMA app, including you might even be listening to this podcast in it. That's right. You can listen to this podcast right built into the app. In addition to that, there's all kinds of other things. There's great writing from people we've had on the show as co-hosts. Adam Martin's got some great writing on there. You can get all kinds of breakdowns. There's so much on the Fanatics MMA app. It's more than just a pick a map. It is an app for you to engage yourself, completely immerse yourself in the MMA experience. So make sure you download that app today. And we are back with round number three. Going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Luis Saldana versus Jordan Griffin. So Saldana... 14 and 6, making his UFC debut. He got a front kick knockout over Vince Murdoch back on the Contender Series that won him his contract. Griffin, meanwhile, 1 and 3 in the UFC. His lone win was over TJ Brown by like a funky Marcelo team from like bottom <laughs> half or bottom side. It was crazy. Um, but then he followed that up by losing to, to Zalal Youssef back in June. So uh, here's my question for you Jordan Griffin, obviously a really good grappler. He's, he's got lots of skills, whether he's on top or he's on bottom. Is there any chance he gets close enough to Saldana that this can happen? That's the thing. This is a fight that I compare slightly to the Yusuf Zalal fight. And I, I mean, we all saw how Griffin fared in that one. He lost. And again, he's going Why even match him up against the very type of fighter that is essentially his kryptonite? I mean, I'm not sure if, if Jordan Griffin is going to be able to take it to the ground. I mean, he is obviously very proficient in the wrestling and grappling department, but I think the issue is he relies too much on that sometimes. And I think that he should really start using his striking in tandem with that wrestling. Because when he does, when he does set up those takedowns and for the fight to get to the ground, it opens up opportunities to finish the fight. It was almost kind of like how he got his con- uh, his contender series contract. You know, he stunned this guy. I can't even, I can't remember uh, his opponent on Contender Series, but he stunned him and then he got him to the ground and submitted him. I have not seen that same Jordan Griffin since then. So I this I don't know how this fight is going to go, but I will tell you for Jordan Griffin, he has his work cut out for him most definitely because if he does not fix the same mistakes that he did in the Yusuf Zalal fight, it's going to be another rinse and repeat against Saldana. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with you on that. If he can't fix those things against Zalal, then Saldana's going to have his same way with him. And the other thing I will say, too, is, is what I've noticed about Saldana. If you've seen before, even his Contender Series fights, he actually has pretty damn good takedown defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even some, like, nice hip throws that he uses himself. Yeah. Um, not that I expect him to use him against Jordan Griffin, but, like, it, it's enough to make me pretty confident that he's not going to wind up on his back for any sustained amount of time. He's much more nuanced on the feet. He's much quicker on the feet. I'm going to go with Saldana here, and I'm going to say he knocks him out. Uh, I'll say third-round knockout. How about you? You know what? I will match you in that prediction. I had I played it safe. I said unanimous decision for Saldana, but I like the way you're thinking, so I'm going to go with yours. 
Alright, I like it. And that brings us to another very fun fight, and that's Daun Jung versus William Knight. Jung, 2-0-1, coming off that draw against Sam Alvey, which was a really weird fight. It was actually a split draw. One fighter, or one judge for Alvey, one for Jung, and then one with the draw. Uh, William Knight, meanwhile, won his UFC debut back in September when he beat Alexa Kamer. He, of course, was supposed to fight Alonzo Menafield two weeks ago. He got COVID. They pushed it around, and now he's fighting Daun Jung instead. So, I, I broke down, I'm pretty sure, his fight with Menafield like four times on this show. And, <laughs> and pretty much every time I broke it down, I said, he he's good, he's powerful enough to beat Menafield, but I just thought, the thing about William Knight is he puts himself in some bad positions and he just mm-hmm. powers out of them. And I didn't know that he'd be able to do that with Alonzo Menafield, and I repeatedly picked Menafield as a, as a result of it. But what do you think about him against Jung? Is Jung technical enough to take advantage of those mistakes? I feel like he is, but I'm a little bit hesitant to just completely give all my confidence to Jung just because of the last fight with Sam Alvey. Like you said, that was a super weird fight. And that wasn't the Jung that we've seen previously in the octagon. I mean, you know him as a pretty heavy-handed guy, and it just didn't... I mean, he, he did stun Alvey, but just didn't seem like he put anything together in that fight. So against Knight, uh, yeah, he could definitely take advantage of some of the issues that Knight may have had before in his previous fights. Uh, is it going to be anywhere near what a potential fight with like someone like Alonzo Menafield is going to look like? Probably not, which is why I'm a little bit, ah, man, this fight is difficult to call just because I have confidence in both men, but it just depends on how they look on fight night. I'm inclined to give a little bit of the edge to Knight just because he did prove a lot of doubters wrong when he did take on that short notice fight with um, Alexa Kamer. A lot of people just completely wrote him off because he was still, he was that contender series alum. There was no way he was going to do anything of significance against Kamer, who was prepared. He had a full training camp as opposed to Knight, who came in on short notice. And we saw what happened. He got that W. So, ah, man, I I like this fight a lot. Should be a fun one. But I don't know if Jung is going to be able to capitalize off of those mistakes. So let's just say I'm going to go with Knight by second round technical knockout. Yeah, I'm going to go with Knight, too. I feel like he's the type of guy who every single time he fights, I'm going to have the same feeling as you just did making that analysis. Like, sure, this person should be able to beat him. Uh, (laughs) And then I'm going to pick him instead because he's wildly gifted and will probably, like you said, knock him out in the first or second round. And then when I do finally uh, stop picking him, he'll continue winning. Uh, I'll I'll just consistently make William Knight picks wrong for my entire life. Because I'm pretty sure I took Alexa Kamer in that fight too. So, um, yeah, I'm going to take William Knight. I'm going to take him by early knockout as well. I think, like you said, Jung is good enough to take advantage of that. I'm just not sure he will. Um, And that brings us to our last fight, which is Impa Kasangane versus Sasha Politnikov. And Kasangane beat Maki Patolo in his UFC debut, but followed up by losing... Uh, in a very devastating fashion that will get played on ESPN till he is uh, long gone, uh, which is sad for Impa Kasangane because he's like the nicest dude on the planet. Um, and he's fighting Sasha Politnikov, who beat Luis Koske in the weirdest come-from-behind fight I've ever seen uh, back in his November debut. So I guess my question for you, we just got to start with Kasangane. He's coming back. You know, he, he took some time off after losing to Buckley there, and obviously it was really devastating. He probably had to take time off. Are, are you worried at all about what that does to a man? 
Just a little bit. I feel like Sangani has definitely handled himself well since the loss. And as you mentioned, he's a very, very nice guy. You hate to see stuff like that happen, but it is the fight game. It happens sometimes. And I think he's handled. And that was, by the way, his very first professional loss. So, I mean, that kind of stuff can definitely play a role in the way that you approach a fight. Also, I believe this fight is actually being uh, competed at 170. Has Kasanganai ever competed at welterweight before? Because I'm pretty sure he's been at middleweight the entire time. Yeah, I, I, do, I do not ever remember seeing him at that weight. And, and obviously the Patolo and Buckley fights were at middleweight. Yeah, so this is a very interesting uh, change, I guess. So he's going to be at 170 now as opposed to 185. I thought he was a very scary dude at 185. So I'm very curious to see what he looks like coming off of such a catastrophic loss as well as in a new weight class. Um, this is a good fight for him, though. I will say that the Politnikov fight with Kosi was definitely weird. Uh, he was able to get past him, but let's let's remember the first couple of rounds. You know, it, it didn't look too good. Kosi definitely tried to finish him, uh, but for some reason, Politnikov powered through it, and he was able to get that win. I'm not sure he's going to be given that same kind of benefit against someone like Sanganai, who is definitely a harder puncher than someone like Kosi. So I think I'm going to play it just a bit safe, just in case there's any hesitation from Kasang and I after coming away from a few months off. So I'm going to say unanimous decision by uh, Kasang and I should be the pick. Yeah, I actually like that pick exactly. Uh, I'm going to go with Kasang and I by decision too. I, I think the thing about him is that he he won't do what Coach K did, right? Where, where he gassed himself out looking for it. He's very composed. And obviously, we, we can be worried about what happens for him. But ultimately, when I'm picking a fight, I don't want to worry about somebody being mentally broken. And if ultimately that proves to be my undoing, then that's my undoing. He also, and I think this is probably why he went down to welterweight. I know he changed camps for this. He's working at Sanford MMA now, yep. which has obviously got 850 killers for him to train with. Versus, I mean, he was at Jim O before, which was over with uh, Scott Holtzman and Brian Barberena and, and those guys. But, like, this is, like, a big camp situation for him. So I think ultimately that's probably going to work in the better for him. He's had good training partners. I'm going to take him here by decision as well. And that's going to do it for the end of our ninth fight. We did it for you in a little bit longer than we said we were going to. But, hey, we gave you nine fights compared to our usual six. So we hope you guys enjoyed something and we hope you guys learned something. And once again, I would like to thank my co-host, Kristen King. You can catch all of her writing on uh, various outlets. Follow her on Twitter. Check her out on Bloody Elbow. Kristen, thanks so much for the time. Thanks so much for having me. Can't wait to be back.